The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hello, hello, hello. This special edition of the All Rookie Podcast. Today is July 2nd, 2021, and I'm your host, William Harris. Hope you all have a wonderful day today. Uh, today we'll be going over some of the most interesting prospects in this year's draft. And yes, I said we. I am honored to have the founder of NBA Draft Junkies joining me today, the great Raphael Barlow. How are you doing today, Raphael? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, you kind of threw me off when you said the great Raphael Barlow. <laughs> Now the pressure's on me. I gotta live up to the I gotta live up to the name. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. I really appreciate you joining me today. Uh give everyone your social media so you know they can follow you and all the things that you're doing. Yeah, you can find me at Marlo 500 That is my Twitter handle. I know I probably need to be better at having everything all in as one, but my social media, I'm sorry, my Twitter is R Barlow. But you can see a lot of my NBA draft stuff on NBADraftJunkies.com. And also, if you type in NBA Draft Junkies on YouTube, you'll see all the videos. I probably have a couple hundred videos on there. Yeah, you're doing it big. I know you have a goal to get like 90 more videos in the next four weeks or so. Is that right? Yeah, man. I don't know if I can do it now. I just <laughs> spent a few days in Miami trying to film mm-hmm. some content, and that kind of threw me off for being gone for four days. So it's going to be tough to get it done, but I'm going to try my best. Well, if anybody can do it, I know you can. You're the hardest working man in draft, combine scout, and all that stuff. So, you know, I'm watching you from afar, and I, I appreciate all your work, your hard work, and you know, you're clearly great at what you do. So I'm honored to have you on the show, like I said. Oh, man, thanks. I appreciate that. All right, no problem, no problem. Um, so at this point, uh, we all know most of the big names in this draft, especially the big four. Uh, but today, we're going to dive a little deeper into some hidden gems, names you may have not heard that much about, uh, but I feel can really help teams out as they are selected later in this year's draft. Uh, so here are my few favorites. Uh, that we're going to go into. First, we're going to start with, let's start with Jason Preston, uh, the six foot four, 187-pound guard from Ohio. How do you feel about the youngsters? A lot of, uh, you know, talk about his name, whether he can even make it in the league or not. How do you feel about him? Well, one, he has the best story in all of college basketball, for those that aren't familiar. And I could be mistaken, but I don't think he had any offers and mm-hmm. coming out of high school, then he like went to, I forgot the exact story, but he went to like, uh, I think he played like J second division or, or something like that um, at a Juco, something, I don't know, what it, whatever it is. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, it is a, a, a real story of an underdog, a guy that just, I mean, late bloomer, under the radar, however you want to categorize it. Definitely not someone who has your typical NBA draft story. I mean, he just was pretty much undiscovered and 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 worked his way up. And then he kind of had he had a good season last year, 
but it was the breakout game against Illinois early in the season that kind of put his name on the radar. Some people still have some doubts about his game, but I felt like he he made a, a, a good name for himself at the combine. I think he really helped his stock out. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, he looked good out there. You know, watching his film, to me, he looked very small on film. But, you know, he's six foot four, and he's still competing with the combine. And do you think he's, his game will translate to the league, or do you think he's going to have to bulk up uh, to last? I think it translates. I really do. I feel like, I mean, with today's NBA, it's not as physical sure. as, you know, it, it had been in the past. So I think that helps him out. But his game is suited for today's NBA, in my opinion. He's, he has the size. may not have the bulk, but he has the size at 6'4". I think he's a really good passer. A lot more athletic than a lot of people have, uh, I guess, given him credit for. And then, like I said, it's the passing. It's the playmaking ability. And he's a good shooter, too. I think that's something that a lot of people, um, <laughs> you know, kind of underestimate. But he shot the ball well over the last few years. And so I think he has a – I definitely think he has a spot. I think he gets drafted in the second round. And, um, you know, there's there's always room in the NBA for guys that are 6'5", that shoot around 40% from three, that average seven assists. He rebounds the ball. He's a triple-double threat. I mean, you know, this is kind of funny I say this. If his name was Jason Ball and he played the exact same way, I think he'd be yeah. a first-round pick. He looks like he could be a ball brother. If there is one concern that I have, and it is, for whatever reason, the free throw percentage was low this year. Only shot 59% from the free throw line. But other than that, man, I mean, just a good assist to turnover ratio. Does a lot of things on the court. Yeah, I totally agree. I have that written down. You know, you see a little LaMelo ball in his film, you know. And uh, he also played at that small school with the uh, MAC MVP. Do you see a little Steph Curry in this game? You think either of those players... He could reach that potential, or will he just be like a lesser version of either of those two in the NBA? Yeah, that's kind of tough to, to uh, <laughs> put in that class. Uh, that's real tough to put in that class. But I think you can see a little bit of similarities. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some similarities. I think, you know, just on the eye test alone, mm -hmm. he can remind you of, of, of LaMelo. But, I mean, if there is one guy that I wouldn't doubt, it's him. I mean, he's overcome crazy odds to get where he's at. So he could definitely be someone that gets into the NBA and becomes, like, a, a really good value pick for whoever selects him. I totally agree. And uh, once you get in around the pick 30 to 40 range and even further, uh, it's worth taking a risk, you know, especially on someone with his potential. Uh, like we said, he'll definitely fit in this today's NBA. Um, so uh, next, I'm going to move along to a guy most people may have heard of. You're into the draft process, uh, Chris Duarte. Um, he is uh, six foot six, 190 pounds from Oregon. Average 17 points per game, four boards, three assists, two steals. Won the Jerry West Award. First team All Pac-12. First team All Pac-12 defense. Uh, he just shot 42 percent from three. In my eyes, he seems like pretty much the perfect prospect. Um, why is he in the 20 to 30 range as opposed to not up closer, you know, with the book nights and guys like that in the draft? Uh, strictly because of his age. <laughs> right. That's the one knock on him. There's really 
no knocks on his game or what he can or can't do. The knock that they're holding against him is his age. I think he just turned 23, if I'm not mistaken. And so I think that's the issue is because just in today's today's NBA, if you're over 22, they consider you not to have as much upside, which, you know, that, that, that's a, a topic that, that um, you know, that can be debated. But, yeah, I mean, I just think that's the issue, his age. And um, I think that it's going to help a team out simply because he'll likely be a late first-round draft pick, which means he's going to go to a good team. And if he ends up going to a good team, he's going to be able to come in and contribute right away. And, you know, I could see him going to a team like, I mean, I'm not a Lakers fan by any means, <laughs> but <laughs> that's like my least favorite team. But I could see him going to like the Lakers at, I think, where they're, they're picking at and, and ends up going there. 22nd yeah. or 24? Yeah, they are at 22. Yeah, and if he goes to the Lakers at 22, he comes in and provides some wing depth. He's a good shooter, shot over 40% from three. I think he did the whole 50 40 uh, shooting splits. So he's he could be similar to Desmond Bang. You know, Desmond Bang was a late pick. He ended up making the Grizzlies rotation play well and was one of the best three point shooters in the league. So, you know, Duarte has the size. He shot 53% from the floor, 42% from three, 80% from the foul line. All of these teams that are projected to be playoff teams again next year or teams that missed the, the lottery this year could use a guy like him. So whether it's the Knicks or the Nuggets or Hawks, teams could always use wing depth in a shooter. So I, I think that he's ready to contribute, like I mentioned. And again, it's just his age. That's the sad thing about it. Right, right. I totally agree. Um, I have him mocked going 19 to New York. Uh, I think this is where the teams that are good become great and the great teams stay great is because they're not drafting on potential and upside. They're going to get a guy that can come in and be ready to go right away. And I think Duarte is a good value for whoever selects him. Hopefully he does go to a good team. I think he'll be worse in worse shape if he goes to a bad team. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving along to the next player we have listed is Ayo Desuma. I hope mm-hmm. I said that right. <laughs> six foot five, two hundred pound from Illinois, averaged twenty points per game, six boards, six assists, and one steal. Shot thirty-four percent from three. Won the Bob Cousy Award. How do you feel about Ayo Desunmu? And it seems like I've been hearing some news about him possibly slipping in the draft. I don't quite understand why, but how do you feel about that? Yeah, you know what? He I felt like last year. He should have came out last year. He improves this year big time. Had had a, a, a bigger and had a big junior year, I should say. But I don't think it helped his draft stock. This year's class is considered to be stronger. I think there are a lot of concerns about his position. Is he a one or is he a two? But in my opinion, he's just a ball player. <laughs> and that's, that's the best way mm-hmm. to describe him as a ball player. And, you know, I don't think team should necessarily put him in a box as a a one or a two. I mean, he has a size, 6'5". He should be able to defend multiple positions, at least three positions. 
And uh, the question on him was his shooting. And he improved his three-point percentage like 10 points in his junior year, from his sophomore to junior year. So whether he slides or not, I still think that he's someone that we can see anywhere between maybe like picks 27 through 37. Of course, he wants to get into the first round for the the, the guaranteed money. But, I mean, I, I think that he's definitely an NBA player. Yeah, um I see, I see a little bit of Colin Sexton in this game. Do you, do you see any of that? He's a lot bigger than Sexton, that's for sure. <laughs> right, right. So that's gonna help him out. But you know, if he, if he does end up being Colin Sexton, one of the things that I like about Sexton is his work ethic. Sexton, I think the knock on him coming into the NBA was obviously he was a little small to play the two. He's six one. He's not really a point. But he improved as a shooter. As a rookie, he shot 40% from three, 38% in second year, 37% this season. And you can tell that he's put in the time and, and worked on his game because he was not that good of a shooter in college. He was a scorer. Now, we knew he could put the ball right. in the bucket for sure. That's one yeah. thing that we did know. And I mean, yeah. I forgot who they played the game where they only had or Minnesota where they only had like four guys and he almost willed the team to victory himself. But yeah, he's he's like a 33% shooter from deep as a freshman at Alabama. And then he just put in the work. So if uh, AO has that type of work ethic, then I definitely see him as an NBA starter. Right, right. And AO shoots 34% from three. So as long as he has that work ethic, he should be good. Uh, and he had two triple doubles in college, and that's rare. So yeah. I, I really think I have him mocked to go 20th to Atlanta. I guess that's too high, but I, I'm just really believing his talent. And, you know, I mean, this whole draft thing is like predicting the weather. Like, I don't, sure. I can't say it's too high because, in my opinion, 7 through 15 is all interchangeable. And you can say 15 through 30 is interchangeable. And you can even stretch that out to maybe 20 through 40 is interchangeable. So if you have him at number 20, I, I don't think that's too high. You know, I mean, it, it, right. this draft is kind of it's kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's going to make this one of the most exciting drafts to watch in a long time, I believe, too. So I'm excited about it. Um, next prospect. We'll go with Zaire Williams, uh, six foot eight, hundred eighty-five pounds from Stanford. Uh, Average eleven points, four point six boards, two assists, one steal, and 0.6 blocks per game. How do you feel about his game? His name is pretty polarizing in this draft. Uh, a lot of people are saying he could go early in the well mid-range in the lottery, and some people are saying I don't know why he's up that high. <laughs> you know, it's guys in the second round that are similarly skilled. So, how do you feel about Zaire Williams? He's the hardest prospect to gauge in this draft. He's made me really question the whole scouting process because wow. if you judge him based off of what you saw this year as a freshman at Stanford and you didn't know anything about him before, you'd be like, why is he entering the draft? The numbers were bad. He was not efficient at all from the floor and he looked hesitant. He's really been able to survive based off of his high school hype and AU hype and also upside because I think he measured out at like 6'10 at the combine. 
But if you look at the numbers, 41% from the floor, 29% from three, average more turnovers than assists, and, you know, the numbers just weren't good. His athleticism, he did not get to the free throw line much, only shot like two free throw attempts per game. So he settled for a lot of contested pull-up jumpers. But then if you look at the high school film, you saw he was – he looked a lot more athletic in high school. I know he dealt with, with the injury earlier in the season. I think they said it was like a bicycling accident. He had a, a, a bulky knee brace early in his freshman year. Then, you know, maybe everything that was going around with Stanford – they were like a team without a home earlier in the year due to the COVID restrictions in California. So they were like staying in hotels. So, you know, maybe that yeah. had something to do with it. But I think he still ends up being selected outside of the lottery. I think a team like Oklahoma City can really take a chance on him because, I mean, they're in position to just swing for the fences. Maybe even Houston if he falls. So one of their their two picks in the 20s, I think they're at 23 and 24. But overall, like I said, he's just t- tough to gauge because the numbers don't look good. The film didn't look good, but he showed enough flashes of potential. And I think he helped himself out at the measurements because I think he measured like at 6'10". So, yeah, he makes it tough, <laughs> to be honest with you. Definitely, definitely. Because, yeah, he was listed at 6'8", but, yeah, he measured at 6'10 at the combine. And then that makes people think, oh, is he going to be Kevin Durant or something in the future? So alerts for, you know, potential just come ringing. Just like we talked about um, Duarte, he's finished product, but you're going to overlook him probably and go for the unfinished product. Yeah, and that's, that's the crazy thing about the draft. There's no way you can watch film on Duarte and watch film on Zaire Williams and if you didn't like if you didn't know who was who you just watched film there's no way you would even be able to justify zaire being picked ahead of duarte which i think he might and it strictly be because of his age and you know the younger you are the higher your upside or the younger you or the older you are the, the closer they feel you are to your prime but duarte is head and shoulders a better player right right now as of today but you know the league is all about projection Definitely, definitely. I have uh, Zaire projected to go 21st to New York, but like you said, easily can go from probably 10 to 30 with this draft. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So moving on to the next player, very interesting player in my mind, Charles Bassey out of Western Kentucky, uh, 6'11", 235 pounds, average 17.6 points, 11.6 rebounds, and three blocks per game. Uh, and that, that three blocks stands out. So, you know, I know he's having a scout salivate uh, looking for a big man that can dominate the paint at both ends. So how do you feel about the big man, Charles Bassey? Why is he not a top 10 pick in this draft? Um, that, that's a good question. I, he actually did the next video breakdown that I do on my YouTube channel. I think that he's put himself in position to maybe be selected in the late first round. If this were 2001 instead of 2021, I, I think he's a top 10 pick easily. It's just the game has changed. And, um, you know, I think there may be concerns about if he'll be able to switch out on defense and, and defend on the perimeter. But as far as just size and strength and 
know, protecting the rim, he definitely have, has it. It's just the game has kind of changed, and he needs to expand his range to, um, you know, really be effective. So I think that's one of the 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 knocks on him is that he doesn't space the floor like a lot of teams want out of a modern day center. Yeah, I, I think I have him projected to go 25th to the Clippers. They obviously could use a great big man, and hopefully he can meet that potential. But uh, I think it's a mistake for him to drop too far in this draft because he's shooting it pretty well already. Uh, he loves shooting around the free throw range area, but he can shoot some threes too. So I think if you look at like a player like Brooke Lopez who could not shoot threes at all early in his career and how much he developed, you know, five, ten years later, Charles Bassey is already at a – better starting point than Brooke Lopez. So I think it would be a steal to get him, you know, especially if he slips in this draft. You know what's crazy? It's like Lopez went from not shooting to just one summer. <laughs> he yep, just, yep. And maybe he had been working on it for a while, and then he just decided to unleash it one summer. But, yeah, out of nowhere, he just, he just became a pretty good shooter. And I feel like maybe the first season or half season, the scouting report was like, okay, leave him open. And he just kept draining. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's a good comparison because Bassey does have a, a good free throw percentage. And a lot of people like to say free throw percentage translates to three-point percentage. And if that's the case, then – Bassey okay. definitely has an upside as a shooter because he shoots in the in the high 70s. Yeah, yeah. so I think Bassey is a name to look out for. Um, it's interesting. Do you see any comparison? Do you think he could have the impact that DeAndre Ayton is having right now? Uh, Maybe. Actually, before I get into that, I just had to look it up. So in Brooke mm-hmm. Lopez's first one, two, maybe like his first nine years, he only made two threes and then – all of a wow. sudden, the next year, he made 134. So let me think, one, two, three, four. So he had like seven years, zero three-pointers made. He made one in 2015, two in 2016, 134 in 2017. That's crazy. So, yeah, if Bassey can have that type of jump sooner, mm-hmm. then, yeah, that, that's a real steal right there. But as far as I don't know if he can have that type of impact as Aiden has. I think right. that he can have a an impact. I mean, I have him going to Brooklyn. So if he goes to Brooklyn or even the Clippers, then then yeah, I mean, he should be able to have a, have an impact and be able to play deep in the playoffs. Um, I mean, Aiden is. Skilled. Aiden is, is, is pretty good. And the thing about Aiden that that he's improved on is on the defensive end. He was considered like a negative defender, but he's been really, really good this year. And, yeah. I mean, his defense has definitely been overlooked in the Suns' success. I mean, he's turned into, like I said, a pretty good defender. And um, the thing that I didn't like about Aiden before is I felt like he settled for too many jump shots and he didn't you know, he used his size and physicality like he should have. And I still feel like he can give you a little bit more. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't knock what he's done in the playoffs. I mean, the regular season, you know, I thought it was kind of a down year for him. He averaged only 14 and 10. 
and he shot 60% from the floor, but he's definitely become a a better player when the lights are on in, in the postseason. So if Bassey can have that type of impact as a late first round pick, then I mean that GM deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, just out of curiosity, if Aiden was in this draft, do you think he'd still go number one? Probably not number one, but still top five, or would he fall because of the way the game has changed? Well, I mean, I think he went number one. I think the main reason he went number one is because of Sarver, who was a University of Arizona alum, so that helped him out. And I think if he didn't have that, connection then maybe Luca goes number one and maybe Luca still goes number one if he didn't have what they call a wall he kind of hit a wall during the season I, I had lived out in Europe around that time so I was very familiar with Luca's game but um yeah I mean he had played for the national team he played like I want to say like 10 months straight 10 months straight of basketball and so some teams um you know kind of felt like he hit a wall but if Aiden was in this draft, I still think somebody might take Mobley ahead of him. I really do. Really? Yeah. Based off of not not knowing what we know now, but just based off of right. um, if, if everything was the same, I think some teams would say Mobley would have a higher upside because of the shooting right, right. and you know, all of that. But realistically, Mobley, his shooting is more so of an upside type thing. He doesn't really shoot the ball, at least on numbers, as well as, as um, you know, he gets credit for. Right, right. A lot of people love Mobley. I have him ranked fourth. Uh, I know that's <laughs> unpopular opinion, but, you know, it goes to the thing of potential versus how great you are already. Uh, so you, you, you love Mobley at two, though, right? I'm not in love with it. I'm not married to the pick. I have him at number two on my board, but... Now I'm going back and forth between whether him or Jalen Green will be the number two pick. Right, right. Because Mobley uh, still has some developing, but I think he still will be really good. Yeah. But, uh, moving, yeah, yeah. Moving on to the next prospect, most interesting prospect in my opinion, uh, David Duke, the six-five point guard out of Providence. Uh, he averaged seventeen points, six boards, five assists, and one steal. Great all-around game, in my opinion. Why is he not a first-round pick? Why is he not a lottery pick? I mean, I loved his take. What's he missing? Uh, efficiency. <laughs> he wasn't efficient from the floor this year. Only shot 38% from the floor on 39. If you yeah 30 yeah about 39 if you round it up. So that's that's key, you know. <laughs> but I think he opened himself at the combine. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the big thing. He shot well from three. If you just look at the raw stats, but overall efficiency wasn't wasn't the best. Do you think that being on a team like Providence could be most of the reason why that is? Uh, like if he was on a more star-studded team, maybe he would be more efficient? That could be it. I mean, they were like a 500 team. And, yeah. You know, so that, that could have definitely played a role in it. I think that he... I think he's a second-round pick. I think he's someone that's going to have to prove himself in summer league. But for everything I've, I've read, he did well at, at the combine from the interview process to to just, you know, everything around that, that went on in Chicago. So he could also be a steal. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a fan. I mean, he looks great out there on the court to me. Just natural player, already developed, you know, not one of those guys like we mentioned with potential. Um, just lock and loaded point guard, you know. So hopefully he continues to flourish. And it's unfortunate that I guess probably playing at Providence probably hurt him a little bit. But yeah, shoot, he shot 40% from three. So I think his game would translate. Yeah, it's just he he had three years where he was around 40% from the floor every year. And I, mean, I think that's probably like the biggest knock on him is how efficient he is. <laughs> it's funny, you know, because with the analytics in the game, Allen Iverson would not be a top three pick in this year's draft because of his efficiency, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, the, I mean, Iverson was a one. <laughs> he was a one of one. That's and, true. Yeah, he he was. It's just tough to compare anyone to anyone to Iverson because he just. Oh yeah, definitely. I just mean the efficiency. I'm not comparing him to Iverson. Yeah, and then even then, like you know, it's this may make some people scratch their heads and think I'm crazy, but Allen Iverson and Zion Williamson are very similar to me. And before I say, before mm, okay. people are like, well. It's because Iverson, you had to build a team around Iverson. Like, he couldn't play with certain guys. You just had to build a team around him to maximize his skill set. And how Philly built teams around him was guys that didn't need the ball, guys that understood their role, and guys that defended. You could, he, he, he had to have a, a rim protector around him because he gambled for steals, and even though on paper you saw like he averaged two or three steals a game, but all the missed steals that he missed, you know, led to easy layups. So they always had guys like Matumbo and Ratliff behind him to block mm-hmm. shots that make up for, you know, his gambling on defense. But then, like I said, offensively, he played with guys that played their role. And the reason I say Zion is similar because Zion is – all right, so Iverson was like a, a – a two in a one's body, an yeah. undersized point guard's body. I feel like Zion is a five in a small forward's height. But he has the, sure. um, the width and bulk of a center. And so if you're playing Zion at the four, then you need to find a five that can space the floor, but also rebound and defend. Those are tough to find. A guy that can get out the way and allow Zion to, you know, operate in a, in a four-out offense, but also in the defensive end, like I said, block shots, rebounds. Because Zion, does, he doesn't rebound like you want your center to rebound, and he doesn't protect the paint. So Zion is going to be tough to build around, in my opinion, just because of his style of play. And, you know, Iverson was one of those guys that he was at his best, and his teams went the furthest when he had – a bunch of guys around him who their main job was to defend and compliment him. Yeah, that, those are good points. Those are good points. Zion definitely, I don't think, has the right point guard with him. Uh, you know, and it's going to be hard to find the right point guard for him. But, you know, obviously Chris Paul is a one-of-one. One, but if Chris Paul was with the Pelicans, I think Zion would look a lot better, kind of like he's helped Aiden play better this year You know, and develop his game. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Zion's offense is any question. I just think defensively, that's so that's defensively. where the thing. Yeah, if you well, if Stephen Adams that, didn't help him out. Well, no, not really, because 
if Steven Adams is on the floor, then he's not spacing it. So yeah. Zion, his man is going to be waiting on Zion. Zion still put up crazy numbers. I just think Zion would be best with a playing a four-out role where he is the only guy in the paint. They tried it with Favors last year. They tried it with Steven Adams this year. And to me, it didn't, it, it didn't work out as far as team success. But if Steven Adams could space the floor, then it, it would help. But Zion just has to get better defensively. And for whatever reasons, his rebounding just didn't translate <laughs> at all. Sure. Yeah, he, yeah, it's weird. Now, now that... He does, you know, he attacks the offensive glass. But like I said, I think his best position is as a center. And he only averaged, I don't even think he averaged like eight rebounds a game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting, you know, just going on, on to this topic. Um, the Pelicans are, uh, have the 10th pick in the draft. They're everywhere I've seen it, they're projected to take a shooting guard. Would it not be wise of them to take a center? Like you're saying, that could face the floor and play great defense. And is there anyone at that 10 spot, like Kai Jones or even Alperin Sengun? He obviously can score. That they should select? I mean, I think Kai Jones would be the only one that could possibly fill that role as a potentially defensive floor spacer. I think 10 is a little high for him. Although he shot 38% from three, it seems like a, well, it was on a, a low volume of attempts. I mean, I think Kai Jones is is a guy that I've, I've mentioned it on my podcast and on my YouTube channel that if he's an all-star in five years, that wouldn't shock me. If he's out of the league in five years, that wouldn't shock me either, either because he's, I mean, he's a load of upside. He's raw. He's really raw, but they're still... It's like he's missing something. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Shingun, I like Shingun a lot. Right mm -hmm. now, he's not a floor spacer at all. Um, but I think he has the potential to, um, you know, to be able to develop into one. Right, right. And those both of those guys are projected somewhere around that range, so it's going to be interesting to see what New Orleans does with their pick. Yeah, I have them selecting uh, James Booknight, who I had a chance to watch work out three days earlier this week in Miami, and he's looking good. Oh, yeah, he's looking real good, real good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the next prospect on the list is the last and final prospect, uh, Isaiah Livers, six foot seven, small forward, probably 230 pounds from Michigan, averaged 13 points, six fours, and two assists per game, shot 43% from three, so that's very key. That's what everyone's looking for. Uh, but he had that stress injury on on his foot. <clears throat> so how do you feel about Isaiah Livers? I think he ends up being like a stretch four in today's NBA. I think that, um, you know, he ends up being a weapon. But, yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy that shot over 40% from three in 119 career games. And I, I see him as a second-round pick that I think could come in and help a team out, especially a team that values the three and values spacing the floor. I mean, you look at a team like the Clippers, they were – I mean, they always had three-point shooters everywhere except that – I mean, sometimes they had them at the five when they had surge at the five. But you look at him, he can come in and maybe play a role like that off the bench for, for a team like the Clippers – 
I mean, teams always can use shooting. So I think that he has a skill set that is valuable, and he has a skill set that um, that every NBA team is looking for. So I, I see him as someone that that gets drafted mid-second round, but I think he can earn some minutes as a rookie. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I compare his game a little bit to Eric Gordon. Um, but do you think if he did not have that stress injury, he would have been pretty much a lock for the first round? Uh, you know, maybe. Maybe, but I, I, I don't know. Because sometimes I feel like teams don't really – they have enough footage of him in his case. He played 119 games. So, you know, you look at James Booknight, he missed – like he told me he missed six weeks of the season with an elbow injury and he it didn't really affect his draft stock too much unless you feel like he would have been a top five pick if he didn't have the injury but he's still projected to go in the lottery and probably the top half of the lottery so no I don't think so I mean I just think with with Isaiah he's 22 and teams don't really value guys that have played four years of college as much so I think that's probably what's hurting him Similar to Duarte. Yep, yep. So um, I totally agree, you know, but like we said, he could be a plug-and-play guy, play an Eric Gordon role, and that role is very valuable in today's NBA. So that will um, cover our seven guys, our most seven most interesting prospects in this year's draft. I was honored, and I'm so grateful that Rafael Barlow uh, joined me on the show today. One more time, give him your Twitter and all that information so they can check yeah. it out. Yeah, you can find me at Barlow500 on Twitter. NBADraftJunkies.com is my website. And NBA Draft Junkies on YouTube is where you can find my, my video projects. Awesome, awesome. And I'm William Harris. You can find me at William is Bill. Thank you all for joining. Like, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend. And thank you so much for listening. Have a good day. Peace.